If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to get started in a new series entitled Faithful, and if you already know this passage, you know what the series might entail, Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you're watching online, don't turn the channel, don't turn off the computer. If you're here in the room, as soon as you see this, this verse, you might want to get up and walk out, and you might say, oh my goodness, here we go. But 2021, we have a great opportunity to be faithful, amen? And uh, let me ask you a question. Has God been faithful to you? Oh, I look out here and I see Brother Jose and Felicita, bless your hearts. God's been faithful. I look and I think about some of our family uh, uh, here at Battlefield that has already been through COVID-19. God has been faithful. I see ones who have already had COVID-19. We have some in our church family that are recovering from COVID-19, and the Lord has been faithful. And so guess what? He's been faithful to protect us here. Do you know that we've been worshiping now since June the 7th back on campus, and the Lord has been faithful to protect us in that? Amen. I think it's something to be excited about. And so I want to talk to you on the topic of being faithful. And before I really get started, I want to remind you, don't miss next week. Next week, we'll continue on with uh, our services and everything, but we're going to have special missionary guests with us, Blake and Megan Hunter and their children. This is a young couple going to South Africa. They've actually already been in South Africa or back home on furlough and going back to the field, and I don't want you to miss uh, this young couple. They're such a blessing. They're out of Madison Heights, uh, Virginia. Blake grew up. His grandfather was the pastor at Faith Baptist Church down in Madison Heights, and uh, Brother Harlan Cook, many of you might know that name, but anyway, uh, he is uh, Brother Harlan's grandson, and he and his wife and family missionaries to South Africa. I hope you'll join us next Sunday. Look with me, we're going to zero in on one verse of Scripture and get started this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this new year filled with new opportunities. Lord, help us not to look back, but Lord, help us to look forward. Help us to look forward with excitement and and with great anticipation of what you'll do in the coming days. Lord, help us to be faithful as you are faithful to us. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody that is watching that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would recognize your faithfulness to them in sending your dear Son to die for the sins of the world. That today that they might recognize your faithfulness in loving them that much to send your Son. Lord, I pray that you will have your will and your way during this time, and Lord, that we will draw closer to you during this time. And God, as we go away from this place today, Lord, I pray that we'll have a new desire, a new hunger to be found faithful. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor for what you'll do. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior and for his sake. Amen and amen. Look with me again at verse number two. The Bible says, moreover, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And the reality of this one verse is that we're talking about is that it doesn't matter And a lot of times when pastors start teaching on stewardship, and that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks or so, 
talking about steward. As soon as you say the word stewardship, a lot of people reach around, they grab their purse, they grab their pocketbook, and they think, oh my, the pastor's going to preach on how he wants us to give more to the Lord. No, no, wrong, wrong again. See, when I talk about stewardship, I realized a long time ago that steward just doesn't stop at my pocketbook. Stewardship, I have a stewardship of my life. God has given me new life in Jesus Christ, so I have to be a good steward of that. God has given me this little thing that we look at our... Actually, I don't even wear a watch anymore. They keep me on a clock back there on the back wall. Some of you don't know that. They got a, they got a clock back there. They're talking about putting a reverse clock on there, and so it counts down, and then it starts flashing when they want me to stop. I don't know. We'll see if that comes about or not. But anyway, uh, I don't wear a watch, but, and most of you have watches and stuff on your phones, or some of you have a... Let me, let me take a poll. How many people are wearing a watch today? Wow, so watches are still in. Okay, let's do this. How many of them are those eye watches? Okay, so there you go. So it's basically connected to your phone, right? So here's the thing. You know we're stewards of the time that we're given? We're stewardships of our abilities. We're, a steward, we're stewards of the financial resources that we've been blessed with. Uh, every one of us, I was talking to one of our men a couple weeks ago and reminding each of us, and it's a good reminder for me, that we are stewards of our influence. You have a, a group of people that you weigh and you have influence over. And so the question is, what type of steward are you being? Are you faithful or are you unfaithful with that steward? And so as we look at this idea of stewardship, the reality is that stewardship should be a priority in the life of every believer. In fact, I've always been a firm believer that when God gets a hold of the heart, now here's the big if, if and when God gets a hold of the heart, we'll never be the same. Let me say that again. Maybe, maybe 2021 snuck up on you. When God gets a hold of our heart, we'll never be the same. We'll never be the same. When you start thinking about His faithfulness, and you start thinking about His love, you start thinking about His protection, His provision, His power in your life, it should change you forever. You should never be the same. And so we're going to look at this. In fact, guys, if you'll show, trusted, I, real, I, didn't, under, I didn't realize this, but trusted since 1828, rather, Merriam-Webster. This is what they say about stewardship. We've trusted them since 1828. I, you know how I know that? Because Google told me. I said, man, you must be smart. No, you just look up Merriam-Webster and it has it in their, in their logo. It says trusted since 1828. Notice, if we've trusted them since 1828, notice what they say about stewardship. They say it's the office, the duty and obligations of a steward. Here's the real rubber where it meets the road. Number two, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially, now pay attention to three words here, the careful, first word, second, the responsible management of something, and here's the third word I want you to pay attention to, entrusted, entrusted to one's care. But biblically speaking, I take it a step for, further, because biblically speaking, stewardship is God-given responsibility with accountability. Man, when I see the word accountability, my wife gets excited. Anytime she hears the word accountant or accountability, man, that's, that stokes her fire. She starts thinking, man, you're talking my language, numbers, and cranking accountability and, and Excel spreadsheets and things like that. Do you know that God's keeping the record? of our stewardship. He is in every facet of life. 
But here's what I want you to see. Turn with me to Genesis 1. I want you, you can hold your spot there and we'll come back. But in Genesis 1, I want you to see that stewardship, stewardship has been a constant theme since the creation of the world. You say, what? Stewardship has been a constant theme since the creation of the world. Look at verse number 28. Back in Genesis 1:28, notice, and this is right after God said, let us make man in our image, right? Verse 28 says, and God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful, in other words, bear fruit, and multiply, increase, and replenish or fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That word dominion there means to prevail against, to reign or to rule. And so God is saying, guess what? I'm going to give you some responsibility here. You're going to reign. You're going to rule. You're going to have oversight of, notice he says, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now flip one page and look at chapter 2 and verse number 15. Because when you get to chapter 2, oddly enough, this is before God looks at man and he says, well, it's not good that man should be alone, so I'll create for him a helpmeet. But notice what he says in verse 15. The Bible says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden, watch these phrases, to dress it and to keep it. Now look at the phrase dress it. The idea of dressing it means to work, to serve or to till the ground. And so God says, guess what? I'm giving you this beautiful garden, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to work it. I want you to till it. I want you to serve in this garden. This is your responsibility now. I've created it, but I'm putting you in it for a responsibility. And then notice what he says at the end of the verse. He says, not only do I want you to work and serve and till the ground, but I want you to keep it. What does that mean? God says, I want you to guard it. I want you to guard this baby. I want you to protect this garden that I have created. I'm putting you in the garden to do a work. And now you are responsible, Adam. This is your job. You are a steward. You think Adam chose to be a steward? No. God said, you're a steward. And this is the thing. Clearly from these two examples, stewardship is not some new thing that I or any other pastor came up in order to manipulate Christ followers. It's not. In fact, I know years ago, I remember the first time I heard about stewardship, I got, I got nervous. I'll just be honest with you. My wife was the, the person, the vessel, if you please, that God used to get a hold of my heart concerning stewardship of all things. And I remember when we first started uh, after marriage and we were attending uh, worship and, and church and we're just starting to get, get our new life as husband and wife underway. And, and I remember, you know, of course, this was pre-COVID. We didn't set offering plates on tables where people would drop it on. We didn't have online giving. We didn't, I know you're going to say, yeah, because you're old. We didn't even have cell phones. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We didn't have those things. We, you know what? We didn't even have, some of you remember this, pagers. You remember pagers? Wasn't that a crazy thing? Someone could actually page you, but you couldn't talk to them. You'd have to go to a payphone or find some way to call them back. That's a crazy thing. But anyway, we didn't have any of those luxuries of life. So when the offering plate came by, I was typically the guy. I was like, I was like, oh, mm. Giovanna's watching me throw in a little something. And uh, you know what? God got a hold of my heart. 
And you see what I said at the beginning? When God gets a hold of your heart, your life is never the same. And I realized that it wasn't about what I put in the plate. It was about how I lived my life. Was I living my life in a way that brought God honor? Was I living my life in a way that brought Him glory? Was I living my life in a way that was pointing other people back to Him? Because it's all about Him anyway. And so stewardship, I see very clearly, it was in, initiated by God Himself all the way back at creation. But now that I've defined stewardship, what is a steward? You say, well, okay, so you shared with us a definition of stewardship, but what is a steward? Well, like Adam and, uh, uh, and, our, and as our definition states, a steward is simply someone who has been appointed to manage the business, so to speak, of his or her master. And so the reality comes down to this, who is your master? Who is your master? Because, see, every one of us have been appointed as stewards. You see in Matthew, and we're not go there for today, but the Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. See, if mammon is your master, that's what you're going to serve. If God is your master, that's what you're going to serve. And the Bible's very clear. You cannot serve both of them at the same time. And so as Christians, I just think it's pretty clear. God's called us to be a steward. Guess what? You didn't choose it. You say, well, I choose everything. No. God gave you new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're a steward now. You didn't choose it. He has called you a steward. And so the question becomes, what kind of steward are we going to be? Are we going to be faithful? Or the antithesis of being faithful is unfaithful. And so we have to look at these things. And so there are at least four principles. And you can write these down quickly if you want, or you can just look at them and try to ignore them. But I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will bring them to your memory uh, throughout the remainder of this day and this week. And I pray that the Lord will... Burden your heart with these principles, but these are just little principles, little nuggets, if you please. And the first principle of stewardship is the principle of ownership. Uh-oh. The principle of ownership, well, you have to come out of the gate because God owns everything. Thank you, Mark. God owns everything. Do you know that God owns everything that I think I have, and whether you want to acknowledge it or not, He owns what you have. Have you ever read the book of Job? God owned it all. God owned it all. And God allowed that testing and those times of testing in Job's life. And so we have to be careful of thinking, well, I'll be like that guy. I've got all these barns. I'll just build bigger barns. I don't have enough room to store my grain. I'll just do all these things. And God says, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. So we have to understand the principle of ownership. In Genesis, all the way back in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you some rapid-fire verses just so you can sit back and watch. But in Genesis 1.1, you know, in the beginning, who? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verse number 14, the Bible says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is whose? The Lord thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. Job 41.11, the Lord proclaims this. He says, Whatever, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now, a lot of people say, how selfish. How selfish. Who created? It's his. He created it. You know what? Ownership has the right to say it's mine. He says, it's mine. And, and so this is what he says in Psalm 19.1. I love this verse. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth, or the firmament, showeth forth his handiwork. Reminding us he's the one who created it. Psalm 24, in verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he 
hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And in the last part, Old Testament, this is the last verse I'll share with you in the Old Testament. It says in Psalm 50 and verse number 12, God declares this. He says, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Oh, folks, don't be confused. Don't be confused about the ownership of anything that you or I think that we own. Because in reality, God owns it all. By the way, do you know that God owns these facilities? Well, hold on, brother. We, we just took up a miracle offering. Yeah, and guess who gave you the money to put into the miracle offering? Whether you put $1 or $100, guess who gave you the money to put that in? We are stewards of God's facilities here at Battlefield. That's why we want to take care of these facilities. That's why we want to see them continue to be taken care of throughout the coming days. In the New Testament, notice it goes on, this principle of ownership in John 1. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In verse number 2, he goes on and the Bible says the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by who? By Him. All things were made by Him and nothing without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, a very familiar couple of verses of Scripture. For Him by all, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. Now notice this. I highlighted this this week. Visible and invisible. Whether you see it or not, He created it. Isn't that crazy? What does that mean? You know this thing that you breathe? You can't see it, but guess who created it? God. We ought to be pretty good stewards of it. Hey, you know that beautiful sunshine? I saw somebody putting uh, pictures on Facebook. You know, I, I, I trolled on Facebook just to check and see what's going on. See, I, I, you know, I'm like Santa Claus. I'm looking out, finding out who's naughty and nice on Facebook. So y'all better learn to be nice. I do. I troll every once in a while, and I say, God, help us. I do. I really do. But I saw somebody put this beautiful picture of a sunset. And when I saw the beautiful picture of the sunset, I saw some people saying, oh, so beautiful, so beautiful, so beautiful. And it's really pleasant when I see y'all saying things like that. You know what I was thinking? To God be the glory of great things he has done. He's the one that created that sunset. He's the one that put the clouds in the sky. He's the one that hang, keeps the sun shining by day and the moon by night. Oh, it's his. It's all his. Colossians says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he, I love it. Watch this one phrase. He is what before all things. He's not after all things. See, a lot of times we live our life like God is after us. Like, well, God, when I get time, I'm going to do some things for you. You better get some time now because you don't know how much time you have. Moses prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, I'm sure, when I deal with time. See, we have to understand that he is before all things and by him all things consist. I was interested the other day, I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a struggling church in, in this letter. And he gets to chapter 4. And if you remember in the letter, he's already, he's already told them about being careful uh, of being so high-minded on Apollos or Paul or whoever the minister of gospel is. But in this chapter, what Paul's addressing is there were some believers at Corinth 
who were glorying and boasting in the abilities of Apollos. They were glorying and boasting in the abilities of Paul and, and whoever they had been quasi-converted under. Like, I got saved under uh, Pastor Greg. Who cares? Who ca I got saved under Carl Skinner. Who cares? Carl Skinner didn't save you and Greg Corcoran didn't save you. God saved you. But this is what Paul's addressing. A lot of people get their halo on tight, too tight and they think, oh, oh, well, I wish he was like him or I wish she was like her. We just ought to give glory to God because here's what Paul says. In verse number seven, he says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? Question mark. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? He says, listen, you're worrying about glorying this person or that person to the neglect of others. You ought to be serving God and serving others was Paul's message to the church at Corinth. Oh, listen, truly everything we have belongs to and comes from God. And since he's creator, he has an absolute right of ownership. Therefore, here it is. This is, when I wrote it in my notes, it made my, my toes curl a little bit. The reality is the principle of ownership says that he has the right to tell us how things ought to be used. Because guess what? He owns it. Now, that I now some of you are saying, man, that was long right there for that first principle. I'll tell you that was the longest principle. Because if you don't get the principle of ownership right, then you'll never get stewardship right. You see, because if you think you own it, then you're not going to be a steward of it. You're going to put somebody else in charge of being a steward. You'll think you're the owner instead of the steward. But here's the reality. We see the principle of ownership. We also see the second principle, and that's the principle of responsibility. God entrusts us with his blessings, our time, our opportunities, abilities, influence, possessions. It doesn't matter. Whatever the resource, whatever the blessing is, you and I are entrusted with these blessings and God expects us to use them well. In fact, it's been rightly said that owners have rights while stewards have responsibilities. You ever, any, I got any business owners in here? You ought to be a good steward of your business if you're an owner, but guess what? You have the right as the business owner to tell your employees how to actually work. And guess what? If your employees do not uh, carry out your wishes, I'm guessing that you've maybe had to let them go and say, guess what? I, I need you to operate in this manner, and if you cannot operate in this manner, I'm going to have to hire somebody new. Wow, what if God said that to us? What if he said that to us? Oh, as the owner, God has entrusted you and me to care. He's trusted us with the care, the development, and the enjoyment of everything we have. We're responsible to him for everything's proper use. And to be honest, we acknowledge his ownership. See, the, the thing about principle number two, the principle of responsibility, is that you and I, through our responsibility, actually acknowledge his ownership by how we steward everything he's given us. See, if I'm unfaithful, then I'm not acknowledging his ownership. But if I'm faithful with the things that he's blessed me with, then I am in a way saying, God, you own it. I'm honoring you by the way that I responsibly care for what you've given me. Oh, the third principle is the one that I told you my wife gets excited about. That's the principle of accountability. The principle of accountability. You see, God expects us to manage well. He just doesn't expect us to manage. He wants us to manage well. 
The Bible tells us this in Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you know that at the end of this life, you say, well, I'm saved, I'm headed for heaven. Guess what? You're still going to stand before God. You're still going to give an account of what you've done. See, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are the Lord's. Oh, we're going to give an account one day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether, here it is, whether it be what? Good or bad. I was reading a couple of years ago, it was former pastor. He's actually currently the communications director for the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. A gentleman by the name of Randy Harp. And... Uh, Here's what he said about stewardship. He said, God not only wants us to manage our resources, he wants us to maximize them. He doesn't want us to manage them. He wants us to maximize them. And folks, I put in my notes, that's across the board, not just with our finances, not just when we look at the parable of the talents or the good steward. No, it's across the board. He wants us to maximize these things. Oh, like the servants of yesteryear, even these servants in the parable of the talents, you and I are going to be called to give an account for all of God's many blessings. The fourth principle that I want to share with you is the principle of rewards. The principle of rewards. And it's the reality is God exalts or He rewards us for our faithfulness. And that doesn't mean that, oh, so what you're saying is I need to be a good steward so I can get a, a star, a gold star, or a, a, a big cookie. No, that's not what I'm saying. But the reality is, if you're going to receive a reward of any type, guess who's going to give it? God. He's going to give it to you. Oh, listen, Colossians 3 and 23, 24, the Bible says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, verse 24, knowing that of the Lord, here it is, who gives it? The Lord. Of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Oh, my friends. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that you and I, that one day, you and I, as faithful stewards, we will be rewarded. You think about Jesus. He was teaching in Matthew chapter 25 in that parable of the talents. And he echoes what the Lord would say to the good steward. You remember he says in verse 21 of Matthew 25, he says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Earlier I said I wanted to say happy birthday to my dad. I remember many years, and many of you don't know this, but uh, nine, well, ten years ago, last October, my dad suffered a major stroke. And uh, But my dad's a fighter, uh, you know, and uh, he, he gets around and... Uh, you say, well, what happened? Well, he's partially paralyzed on his right side and, and really doesn't have use of his right hand and right leg, but don't tell him that, and he's probably laughing right now as he's watching. Uh, don't tell my dad that. But I remember years ago asking my dad, because the stroke that my dad had should have taken his voice, right? Left brain stroke affects the right side. It should have taken his voice. And... Uh, Many of you know my dad has been a singer his entire life and has one of, the, one of the greatest voices I've ever heard. But I remember asking my dad years ago the key to his success in singing. And this is what my dad said. Now, my dad would 
show me all kind of, all kind of uh, exercises that he would do with his diaphragm and he, he would say, lean on me, and he would push me off of his diaphragm like he was lifting weights from his stomach and, and, and different things that he would say, vocal exercises and whatnot. But here's what my dad said. I said, how is it that some of these guys, they sing and their voice seems to be getting weaker and weaker and weaker? And my dad's 84 years young today, and he can still sing just as strong as ever. And here's what my dad said. He said, I never abused my gift. Now let that sink in for a second. He said, there were a lot of guys who sang with me coming up through opera and even when I sang with the United States Army Chorus, he said there were a lot of guys who actually abused their gift. And he said, I never did anything to abuse my gift. I believe that's why God allowed my dad to have his voice after his stroke. Because God blessed him and said, you know what? You have been a good steward of this voice. I'm going to allow you to maintain your voice for the rest of your life. Even though, really, most people who have this type of stroke, they lose their voice. I'm going to honor you because you have honored me through your voice. You have not forsaken the stewardship of your voice, and I believe that you will continue to be a good steward. I believe that's why my dad still has his voice today, because he was a good steward of his voice years ago. Guys, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. We must, we must, we must exercise these responsibilities as being good stewards. So now that we've been reminded about, now I know some of you are like, man, he's just going to town. Well, I wanted to remind you what stewardship was, what it means, what a steward is, and I wanted to cover some of the basic principles of stewardship. But to finish our message, I want to briefly discuss our stewardship of truth. And this is not a full message on truth, so please don't go out of here and say, man, we didn't really get a lot on this, side of the, on this side of the equation. I wanted to set that introduction first, but I want to finish by talking with you a couple minutes about our stewardship of truth. And to be sure, there are no shortage of opinions. Everybody has an opinion as to what qualifies today as truth in our world. Am I right? You come across it on social media. You come across it on the news, on the, on the TV, and in person with people. Everybody has an opinion. And there's so many different philosophies when we think about this word truth that I thought I would finish the message today by sharing with you some things about truth that I think are important for us to understand. And these philosophies, I want us to be reminded of them. I've shared these before. Uh, with some of you, but not all of you. And so I want to remind you of a couple of philosophies that are running rampant. Uh, and by the way, this, again, is not an exhaustive list. This is just a few thoughts to get you thinking. But the first philosophy that I want to share with you is this idea of rationalism. You see, rationalism is what truth, uh, truth is what's responsible. And, and the idea is that man can reason his or her way to truth without actually having to prove it. I don't have to prove it. I can just reason my way to truth. That's called rationalism. There's another one called pragmatism. That's truth that works. Truth that works. And the idea that if it works, if it's useful, if it brings satisfaction, I put in air quotes, then it must be true. And so that's pragmatism. Then there's utilitarianism, and I see that all over the place these days. You may not understand it or recognize it as such, but that's Truth is what's beneficial, and the idea of utilitarianism 
is that truth is what produces the greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. And guess what? If you're not in the greatest number of people, then so what? It's our truth and you're left out in the cold. That's utilitarianism. And then there's the idea of idealism or truth is whatever you want it to be. And, and to be honest, that sounds a lot like relativism uh, these days. And the idea there being behind that is that there is no absolute truth. Uh, what's true for one may not be true for another. And so basically you would say, well, pastor, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Uh, it may be raining outside to you, but it's sunny and 75 degrees for me. Okay. Well, good luck. Well, uh, that tree is not green. That's a yellow tree. You just get over yourself. That may gre be green to you, but it's not green to me. That's what idealism and relativism is. But Scripture teaches us as believers that God is the initiator. He's the initiator and the, and the author of truth, and truth can actually be known through His Word. And here's the reality, as Christ followers and, and believers of God's Word, we believe that God's Word is reliable. If you don't believe that this is truth, then what are you doing? What are we doing? If we don't believe that God's Word is true, if we don't believe that Jesus is truth in the flesh, the Word incarnate, if we do not believe that, then what are we doing? We're just wasting our time spinning our wheels. Years ago, and uh, I was hoping your son would be here, years ago, it was a gentleman by the name of Arthur Holmes. He was a longtime philosopher, of, he was a longtime philosophy professor at the Wheaton College. And he boldly declared and emphasized these words. He said, all truth is God's truth. And although he took heat back then and he continues to take heat and criticized over the years over the semantics of his statement, when you study what Arthur Holmes was saying, his, his desire was simply for Christians in an academic way to not shy away from the difficult questions that might arise no matter what subject uh, uh, or course of study they chose. It didn't matter whether you studied accounting. It didn't matter whether you studied engineering or you went to a Bible college or any other type of uh, school or trade school. His thought was that Christians need not shy away from truth in order to find truth. His thought was this. He thought that any truth could be found could also be reconciled with your faith and the Word of God. And I believe he was right. And there again, he's been criticized over the semantics of his statement that all truth is God's truth instead of the fact that God is true and everything flows from him. But the reality is I think he was right in what he was trying to say. And in the Old Testament, I was reading just the other day, I mean, you think about Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 34, and Isaiah 65. All three passages reference God as the God of truth. When you look over and over, they refer to God as the God of truth. In the Old Testament, what did Jesus say in John 14? In John 14, 6, he declared, I am the way, what else? The truth and the life. He said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Not only was Jesus laying claim to his deity, but he was also making it crystal clear that all truth, must ultimately defi be defined in terms of God and His eternal glory. Friends, Jesus Christ is truth in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, listen, He's truth in the flesh, and as such, Jesus is the perfect expression of God, and He is the personification of God's truth. Oh, the Word of God doesn't merely contain tidbits. I love how people sometimes, if you look at somebody's Bible, you can tell where they spend a lot of time. You can actually look because the oils of your fingers will, you say, I wash my hands. Guess what? You still have oils that are coming off of your hands onto the pages. And what I find a lot of times is a lot of people like what they find back here in this portion. They don't like this because, and they discount the Old Testament, they say, hey, brother, we're under grace. We don't need to read the Old Testament. You ought to read the Old Testament because the New Testament is confirming what the Old Testament actually says and vice versa. They're not contrary to one another. Oh, listen, the reality is this is all of God's truth. Before his sacrificial death, I think about what Jesus was praying to his father in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them with truth. He said, thy word is truth. 1 Peter in 1 Verse 23 celebrates the fact that the eternal truth of God's Word, it lives and it abides, how long? Forever and forever. But I digress. Because those four principles that I shared earlier, the principle of ownership, the principle of responsibility, the principle of accountability, the principle of of reward, if you please, they are all connected in dealing with stewardship. But ultimately, the question becomes, and it's always been the same. The question's always been the same when it comes to stewardship. And the reality is this. The question is, am I the Lord of my life? Or is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Bottom line. There it is. You want to ask yourself a question, no matter what topic we're studying, whether it's the stewardship of our time, the stewardship of our resources, the stewardship of God's truth, the stewardship of the air that we breathe, the stewardship of these facilities. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're talking about stewardship, you ask the question, am I the Lord of my life or is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Because you see, our life and everything that we have, I believe, is a resource that we've been blessed with. And if it's a resource that I've been blessed with, then guess what? It doesn't belong to me. I'm only a steward of it for a little while. Do you realize that there was a day that I was born? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. That's not truth to me. Uh, Yeah, on October the 17th, 19... I was born. And do you know... At least I said 19. Do you know that there's an appointed time that God already knows... There's an appointed time that he already knows that G. Allen Corcoran will take his last breath. And the time between there and the time between there, I'm called to be a steward. The question is, am I the Lord of my life? Or is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Oh, listen. How we live and use those blessings matters. And and with that said, when I think about how we use those blessings and, and what we do with them really matters, 
before we move on, I, I, I want to remind us of something. And, and some of you say, I never heard this. Well, I want to reintroduce. If you've been here since 2016, 2017, I want to reintroduce something to you that I shared with you in 2017, four years ago. I shared this with you, and I want to reintroduce it to you. And I was surprised that it was four years ago, but that just shows you how time flies. Uh, some of you carry around in your Bible the, uh, the $68,400 bill that I gave you years ago, and I was thinking about that. That's been six years ago. Six years ago. So you've been carrying that dollar. I think Anita carries hers, or Jim. One of y'all have them. And uh, that was six years ago. Time just flies. But I want to reintroduce a problem that I shared with you in 2017. And the reason I want to reintroduce it is because I'm not sure that we've gotten beyond it. I'm not sure that we've moved beyond the problem that I introduced in 2017. And it's a clinical diagnosis for you in the medical field or you in the psych, uh, psychiatry or psychology field. It's a clinical diagnosis known as cognitive dissonance. Some of you remember this, cognitive dissonance. Remember the question now, am I the Lord of my life or is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Cognitive dissonance states this. It's the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. Now, essentially, what that means is that cognitive dissonance refers to a person who holds two opposing truths at the same time. Can I tell you, you cannot do that. It's impossible. You see, I, and I tried it this week. I tried to do it to myself. I said, well, I believe that the, the, green, the grass is green and the sky is blue. Those are two truths at the same time. They're not opposing truths. Opposing truth would be, I believe that the grass is green, or as I tried to joke with my youngest brother when driving through Kentucky one year, I said, I said, son, I, I, to, uh, son, he was my brother. I said, I said, uh, uh, and I won't say, well, I only have one younger brother, so I guess it doesn't matter if I say his name. Uh, I said, Sean, I want you to be looking for the bluegrass. And so all the way as we drove through Kentucky, we were driving to Illinois. He's like, he's looking out, out the window. And we got through Kentucky. He says, hey, I never saw no bluegrass. And I said, I thought it was in Kentucky. I said, man, must have been my mistake. Well, cognitive dissonance would be believing that the grass is blue and the grass is green. It would also, cognitive dissonance would be saying, I love God and I love mammon. You can't love God and love mammon at the same time. You're either going to hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. And so this is what cognitive dissonance in. And you see, the, the, the reality or the difficulty is that it cannot be possible for good stewards. It was Adrian Rogers, that pastor and teacher of yesteryear, he said this, he said, everything we truly believe we obey and everything else is just religious talk. <laughs> That's amazing. Everything we truly believe we actually obey and everything else is just religious talk. He was right. You see, because as a Christian, we either live according to the truth of God's word or we do, and I'm just going to be transparent, we do what I've done in the past. <gasps> I mean... Pastor, are you serious? Yeah, there have been times in my life where I've lived according to me, myself, and I. Anybody else in here? Anybody else here ever made a decision according to me, myself, and I? And for those who are got their halo on super tight, I want to remind you that I'm asking you a question in God's house. 
you are under oath. And we just had Christmas and Thanksgiving, and I'm guessing you said, mm, I want another piece of pie. And God's word says, don't be a glutton. Which truth are we holding to? I said, the eyes rolling. Oh, oh, you had to go there. No, I like a Christmas cookie just like the rest of you. I love, I love that my mother-in-law is up here with us now. I do. I love, I love my mother-in-law. And, uh, and she's sitting over here because my mother-in-law and I share something in common. After dinner, we both want something sweet. And I'm like, finally, I have someone on my team. I'm like, I'm like, I have majority vote now in the house. My mother and I, my mother-in-law and I are, are trying, we're itching for a cookie or something after we eat dinner. And Krista sometimes she'd be like, nah, nah, I don't need anything. I don't need, I'm like, I'm always trying to coax her in. Hey babe, do you want something? You want some ice cream? No, nah, I don't really want any of that. But my mother-in-law immediately, as soon as we finish dinner, she says, now I'm ready for something sweet. I'm like, yes, yes. Kay is in the house. So what do we do with this, guys? This stewardship. I know some of you are like, ugh, ugh. January 3rd, he breaks out the stewardship series. Couldn't we have something about like new resolutions and things like that? This is a good resolution to make. Pastor, I remember one time you did a series on stuff and uh, we talked about New Year's resolution. This is a probably the best resolution you could make, and that's to be a good steward of the many and manifold blessings God has given you. So what do we do with it? Well, as I prepare to wrap up, not my last verse, Michaela, as I prepare to wrap up this message, I offer two simple steps. I want to encourage you to write them down. You say, I'm not a note taker. Write them down or text them to yourself. What are the two simple steps to improve my stewardship across the board? You ready? It's earth shattering. <laughs> Number one, recognize the problem. Recognize the problem. And I'm guessing I don't have to convince you if you have a problem with stewardship. Number two, number two, take action to rectify the problem. See, it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to be intentional. But until you get intentional about your intentions, you're just doing nothing. You're just spinning your wheels. And so recognize the problem. Take action to rec rectify the problem. So I know the, the logical follow-up is how? Yeah, great. Thanks for that big nugget of truth. Recognize the problem. I already recognize that I'm not acting as a good steward. And you say, well, take action to rectify the problem, but how do I do that? How do I change? How do I become a better steward? Or how do I become a better manager of truth? Here it is. I'm going to give you the how right now. Write it down. Number one, number one, acquire truth. Acquire truth. Paul writes to the church at Colossians in Colossians 3 and verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice in the very first phrase of that, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That phrase dwell in you means to let the word of God be at home in your heart. It means to let it take up residency in your heart. 
The only way that the Word of God is going to take residency in my heart or your heart is if you're actually in the Word of God. And so you have to acquire truth. If you recognize the problem and you want to take a step to rectify the problem about truth, then you have to acquire it. You have to be in God's Word and letting it dwell richly in you. The word richly means it needs to dwell at home in your heart, but it needs to have, here's the key, it needs to have full access to your heart. Do you know that these people that go in, photographers and media people, they get what they call an access patch, right? And even when I was in the military and I would be in different situations working with the president or other people, I would have to, one, had to have security clearances, but even so, after that, I would have to be screened and then they would give for various jobs, various events, access badges or access pins. And based on your level of security clearance based on your level you guys in the government you know you're able to go in this room or that room or you're not able to go you have to stay out here you can only go this far what I'm saying and suggesting is to acquire truth in such a way that you let God's Word be at home in your heart but let it have full access to your heart you see because here's what we do a lot of times we say okay God it's 2021 I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to let you have this portion of my heart. But this side of my heart is for me, as if you could do that. That's the same thing as loving God and loving mammon. You can't, you, you can't be you know, uh, double-minded on this thing. That's cognitive dissonance in action. And so we have to give God full access. And, and I, I can tell you this, that the Word of God and the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, the Word, they're not inconsistent. They're actually complementary to one another. And so allow God's Word to permeate you, and you have to do that by acquiring it. The second thing I would just say here, how to take action, is not only acquire truth, but embrace it. Embrace truth. Because Paul also said in, first, in 2 Timothy 1, he said these words. He said, hold fast that form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Paul is telling Timothy, he said, not only I want you to acquire it, but I want you to embrace it. See, there's a difference in getting something and then there's a difference in embracing it. Like, I could go up to my wife and say, honey, I love you, but I could also go up to her and say, honey, I love you and embrace her. I'm going to be the benefactor if I embrace her. And I hope she is too. You see, as believers, we can steer clear. Here's the beauty. When we embrace truth, we're better suited, better able to steer clear of false teaching. And there's no shortage of false teachers around. In fact, you can run, rip and race up and down the road and you can find some in pulpits. That's the sad reality of our world today. You can find some of them spouting stuff that has nothing to do with God's Word today. Oh, my friends, we have to be careful with this thing called truth that God has given us. We cannot allow our reasoning, our imagination, our peers, or our culture to change the truth of God into a lie, just as those people in Romans 1.25 did. You can read that on your own in Romans chapter 1 and following. Oh yes, from God's Word we learn how and why it's important to love God, to serve God, to worship God. We learn how and why it's important to love and to serve one another. We learn how to fulfill our role and responsibility as Christ followers. Guess what? Sir, you can learn how to fulfill your role and responsibilities as a husband. You can learn how to fulfill and, and honor your role as a father. Mom, same as a wife, as a mother. Young person, as a son or a daughter. 
as an employer, as an employee, God's Word gives us all the clues in His Word. Oh, we must embrace truth. Number three, I would say, how do we do it? We not only acquire truth and embrace it, but we ought to start living it. It's one thing to talk a good thing, a good game. It's another thing to live it. You know what I find in a lot of churches today? You remember that game called Pac-Man? I see a lot of people doing this, talking a good game. But when you go out on the highways and byways, they're not living out their faith. They're not living out their truth. They're just talk. Talk, 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 talk. We got to stop talking and start living. We got to stop talking and start living. Amen? Oh, listen, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible reminds us that we're living in perilous times. Do you believe that? Or do you think we're just living in hunky, whole, hum, dory, it's great, it's good to go times? We're living in perilous times. In fact, the Bible tells us that the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. And although there's a lot of people spouting truth according to them, this world is full of error. And you know what we're doing as Christ followers? This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Sitting in our chair, shaking our head at the world. Instead of living our faith, living out truth in such a way that draws the world to Christ. People don't want Christ if we're not living His truth and love. Nobody wants to eat a truth sandwich seven days a week. They like a little bit of love thrown in there. And by the way, I know some, some super spiritual guy is going to say, well, you're getting pretty sappy on the love. Well, talk to Jesus about it. Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. And if you don't know what grace means, it means love. If you don't understand charity, that means love and action. If you don't understand what Jesus said when he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and this is how all men will know you're my disciples. If you get out of your seat, if you go into the world and you love one another, then they're actually going to know that you belong to me. Man, we condemn and criticize and put down people. I'm tired of it. How about lift up somebody? How about tell somebody that Jesus loves them? You know, I checked out of a, a store the other day, and as I was leaving, it was Lowe's. I was down at Lowe's, and the girl, she looked like she needed a little pick-me-up. And so I just stopped before I left, and I turned around. I said, you know, God loves you. God loves you, and I love you, and I pray that you have a great day. Can I tell you, just saying that, you say that God loves you to somebody. I don't care if they even know God. They're going to appreciate it. I've only run into a few people who didn't want to hear about God's love. Man, we have such a great opportunity. We ought to be living truth. And then lastly, and this is the other thing of, of how, not only do we acquire it, embrace it, and live it, but we got to be declaring truth. we got to be declaring truth. Paul, he wrote in, uh, or Peter, excuse me, in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 15, Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Well, why is this important? This is important because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in fact, turn there, and then, yes, we'll close with this passage, and I will restate the opening verse before we close, but look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, you got to see this. You say, why is it important to declare truth? Right here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 3. 
Because Paul says, for the time will come. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who is the they? Who are the they? It's people. He says there's a time coming when they, notice, he says, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from what? from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. My friends, if we're going to be faithful stewards of God's truth, then we need to cultivate habits of speaking the truth in love. We need to cultivate the habit of sharing the truth with lost people. Do you know law, saying, say, oh, that's so insensitive. He just talked about people and called them lost. That was me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I didn't find me. God found me. We need to share truth with those who are lost. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to teach the truth to new believers. We need to instruct our children in the truth. Children are growing up today, and they don't even know the truth of God's Word because we're not sharing it with them. We're like, well, I'm just going to hands off. I'm going to let them figure it out on their own. How dare you? You're not being a good steward of the child God has blessed you with. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that doesn't feel good. But the reality is, how dare you? How dare you leave it up to chance? How dare you leave it up to the world to teach your kids something that we ought to be teaching our kids? Oh, my gracious. We ought to be instructing our children in the truth. And the reality is we ought to be defending our faith with the truth of God's Word, as Peter said. Remember this, and I close. God is the initiator and the owner of everything. You and I are His stewards. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or a woman, that's neuter sense, be found faithful. We're either faithful or we're unfaithful. But here's the deal. You have to ask yourself and answer yourself this question. How faithful am I? How faithful am I with the truth of God's word? If it was good enough for me, isn't it good enough for someone else? How faithful am I with the truth of God's Word? Oh, listen, yes, it's a lot to swallow, a lot to digest as we consider this idea of truth. But the reality is how you and I respond to the truth of God's Word has eternal ramifications. If you reject the truth of God's Word, God said, He loved you. He loved you. He proved His love to you that He sent His Son to die for you. If you reject the message of God's Word and the Gospel, the reality is we spend an eternity separated from God. But if we believe God's Word is truth, if we accept, if we receive the message of God's truth into our lives, into our hearts, and we receive that beautiful gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord, then the reality is based on the truth of God's Word and the authority of His Word, we enjoy eternity and everlasting life. It seems like a pretty easy choice to me. I pray that you'll take God's Word, His truth, acquire it, embrace it, live it, and declare it. It's so incredibly important as we move forward in the days ahead. Father, we thank you for your love.
We thank you for your word. And God, I know that we have covered a lot in this introduction and message about truth. But Lord, I pray that now, even now, God, that you would begin the work in the hearts of everyone in this room, in the hearts of those that are watching and worshiping online. Lord, as you have blessed us with a new year, you've blessed us with a new opportunity. Lord, I pray that we don't waste it. Lord, I pray that we don't shirk our responsibility. Lord, knowing that one day we will give an answer to you for how we stewarded those many gifts that you have given us. Lord, above all, I pray that we would be good stewards of your truth. God, that we would recognize your truth. We would recognize your ownership over truth. God, that we would be responsible stewards of your truth. God, that we would share it with those who need to hear your truth. God, that we would apply it to our own lives, that we would live it. We would embrace it each and every day as the world tries to pull our hearts away from you, as the world tries to tell us everything about you is wrong and, and that the world is right and you are wrong. Lord, help us to reject that. Help us to draw nigh to you. Your word says that if we do that, you'll draw nigh to us. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this invitation. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today, January 3rd, as we begin a new year, would be the day that they call out upon the name of the Lord, that they would ask the Lord to forgive them and to come into their life, to begin a new relationship with you through Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are gathered, that maybe look back on 2020, and it's been a crazy year for sure, but maybe they look back and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I wasn't a good steward of your word this last year, but Lord, I want to be a good steward this year. Lord, I want to do better. I want to... I want to be a good manager of the things you've blessed me with, and I want to begin with your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them, that you'll give them wisdom. I pray that you'll give them strength. I pray that you'll give them the wherewithal to get in your word each and every day so that the word not only takes up hold, but it permeates every part of their life. Lord, I do love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing us to meet together God, I do pray that you have your hand a blessing on those that are recovering from COVID. God, I pray that you would help us to be smart, to take care of ourselves, to be a good steward of our lives, and, and to be smart in the places we go and the things that we do during this time. Lord, we love you, and we praise you for all that you've blessed us with. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do during this time of invitation in our hearts and in this time beyond as we go our separate ways. God, may you receive the honor. May you receive the glory. We'll be careful to give you the praise. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we do pray. And for his sake, we say amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.